0: Welcome to the Voices in Japan podcast with Ben and Burke. On this episode, we are joined by Sam from England. She lived in Kawasaki near Tokyo and Yokohama in the early part of the 2000s in what she called the most hedonistic years of her life. And she tells us about that experience. And she tells us about her experience marrying into a Japanese family and about the challenges she has faced due to the expectations that her in-laws have about how she should be raising her children. Things became especially difficult when she and her husband moved back from England to Japan with their children a few years ago, and she shared a lot about the issues that were causing friction, and it was a very interesting conversation, so we hope you enjoy it too. Alright, on to the episode.
1: 1, 2, 3...
2: Where's is your japanese
1: like sam is your japanese pretty good
2: uh it used to be um i don't get much of a chance to practice um except when i really want to make a point and i really want hubby to listen <laughs> and understand <laughs> <laughs> then i'll kind of say it in japanese but it's a bit it's very squeechy japanese you know it's not um it's not very um what's the word I don't, I mean, I don't use Japanese at work, so I don't, it's not a very kind of polite form of Japanese.
0: You said you, in the, you mentioned I that you I actually, should
2: say. Um, uh, I was
0: getting some kind of weird feedback, but you were saying that you actually came over originally the first time on a working holiday visa, was it?
2: Yes, it was a working holiday visa in 2004. Yeah. Yeah so the year before, well a year and a half I moved to Japan in 2004 I'd been on a backpacking trip around the world um, and I think I probably wet my appetite for um, wanting to explore and understand other cultures, um, other languages and I'd met a few Japanese people on that trip and they were all very kind of nice polite people and I found the language really interesting. The culture, um, from what I knew of it—I mean, which is very little—I mean, you know, your kind of things about you know tea ceremonies, the kimonos, that kind of stuff. And then when I got back to England, um, I got a job, and I guess everybody was kind of starting to settle down a bit. And I really didn't want to do that. And for the trip around the world was great, but as you were kind of getting to understand or learn about the way certain people live it's time to move on again and what I wanted to do was kind of stay in one place and really um what's the word kind of um instill myself I guess into a a totally foreign culture and a foreign language um and set myself challenge of learning um a difficult language um and yeah I guess it was wanting a challenge Japan being part of a working holiday visa scheme and hearing that it was a very safe place to live and it would be quite easy to get a job um, teaching English. So those are the reasons.
0: That first time you came over, though, you said you were were, uh, in Kawasaki. Was there something specific that uh, took you to Kawasaki?
2: Um, It was near Kawasaki. Um, I wanted um, to be kind of around um, Tokyo-Yokohama area, Um, but essentially the language school. um, So it was Nova that I got a job with.
0: But did the uh, did you get the job at Nova then before you came over or after you got here?
2: Yeah, so I'd already booked a ticket, a one-way ticket by myself because I just set up that I was going to go and I needed to book that ticket to, make, to wrap everything up because, you know, you just think about things and you never actually do them. Once I kind of take some action, then it makes it all real. So I'd booked a ticket, a one-way ticket, not knowing where I was going to stay, where I was going to work. But in between booking that ticket, I'd heard about Nova and then went along for the interview, um, got a job, and then they said that they had blocked flights going out and actually um, had already set, you know, already had accommodation ready and so on. So I kind of ended up going with that option rather than just going off by myself Hmm. with a backpack, turning up at um, Narita and then not knowing what was next. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I guess back in that uh, around that time, that was kind of the heyday of uh, the Eikaiwa. Nova was like one of the biggest ones too. Nova
2: was massive. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, And um, obviously, because you could, they didn't have to worry about visas because you already um, because of working holiday visa schemes. So they hired lots and lots of part time teachers. Whereas some of the other language schools. kind of didn't go down the holiday visa route and actually were wanting um, to offer sponsored visas so employees could work full-time so Nova was actually the only school offering part-time working um, which ended up being absolutely brilliant because obviously I didn't go to Japan to teach English all day even though it was great and it was a means to an income and to meet people I went there to learn Japanese to learn the culture to see how other people live and so I would work from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., and those hours would go quite quickly. And sometimes couldn't believe I was being paid to so just <laughs> essentially have a have a chat with people, um, and then we'd go to an izakaya um, till about 11 or 12, and then we'd either, you know, stay up and go to Tsukiji fish market, um, which I, I think around 3 a.m., and then you'd kind of sometimes we'd go out, you know, to a club or something, and then. Sometimes we'd go off to Shonan in the morning, try and go for a little surf, um, and then get a few hours sleep, and then go back and start work at 5pm the next day. So it was like, I described that year as probably the most hedonistic of my entire life. <laughs> um, it was great, and, and we got paid pretty well to do what we did. It was almost like a, you know, and I hung out with a lot of Australian um guys I don't I don't know why maybe just shared the same humor or something but they all said Japan was like a movie any day every day could just be however you wanted it to be and you didn't have to worry about you know making a career and settling down and all that kind of stuff and um and I could see what they meant but obviously I think after a year it's all great having fun and you know I'd go to along to the the international lounges to learn Japanese once, twice a week. But then after a year, um, I'd met the the person who's now my husband and wanted to learn a little bit more about, I guess, try to not feel like I was living in the bubble because essentially you are living in the bubble. You're, you're in Japan, but you're not part of Japanese society, I think, not the way we were living um, for that first year. And then I was got a bit more serious about my Japanese study and obviously was spending more time with um, with my husband. And so I guess also the visa ran out. So I had um, to get a sponsored visa, which meant I had to work full time. So everything changed after a year um, quite drastically, but I think I was ready for it. I think, you know, it was great having lots of fun and meeting lots of people and having a very gentle introduction to Japanese society. But but, you know, after a year, I think I felt it was time to for something a bit different, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. completely.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people start to feel that way, for sure, like at any point, especially after kind of enjoying that uh, English teaching life for one or two years. It kind of starts yeah. to feel like, should I just keep doing this forever or should I switch it up to <laughs> yeah. something else? you know? Did you uh... like
2: Groundhog Day. A bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's a good Groundhog Day. I mean, that's always good yeah, stuff. Yeah,
2: and and sometimes you see people who've been there. I I, I don't know what, you, what term you used. We called them lifers. Um, people who'd been at Nova, you know, 10 years plus, um, they still didn't speak Japanese. They still could only go to restaurants with a picture menu. Um, you know, they were kind of floating, but not really, we called them lifers and there were quite a few of them. And I kind of thought, you know, I really don't, don't want to be like that, um, to always live on the fringe. And I think unless you learn the language, you're always going to be somehow on the fringe. of society, and I think if all your friends are only your friends because you're getting a exposure to English, that's not really, you know, it's not genuine. And I, I can't tell you, I literally, literally lost fifty percent of my friends overnight when I started speaking Japanese instead of English. Uh, I don't know if you had that experience as well. Why, they just why, gradually drop away.
1: Yeah, why? Why was that? Like because you just started making more Japanese friends and wanted to hang out with them. <laughs>
2: No, I think it's you know whenever we'd hang out, um it, it would always be in English, and I'd be speaking English, so essentially it's a, it's a free lesson, isn't
0: it? so you're talking yeah. about you, you lost like fifty percent of your Japanese friends, basically yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> because there was no more chance for them to practice their English because I thought, look, I've been here over a year, we're in Japan, I really want to you know what I mean? I don't want to spend all my time speaking English.
1: Yeah, and I, I remember that kind of happened to me when after you, you kind of start to learn Japanese and start to use it, then you kind of realize who your real Japanese friends yes, are.
2: Absolutely.
1: And yeah, yeah, I yeah, like like I lost pretty much all of my Japanese friends. I just <laughs> you lost fifty percent. I lost all of them pretty much.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> and now I have like one. I think one that I can think of right now, and the rest of either moved on or or don't live in japan at the moment so it's yes yeah, bit, mm. bit sad with the, the it's very transient, isn't it? yeah yeah it's a little bit sad in a way
0: can i ask you like uh, if you don't mind uh i mean just more about like the dating scene for a foreign girl in japan like uh how is that if you don't mind talking about a little bit are you dating like uh a lot of foreigners, too, or Japanese guys? Is it easy for foreign girls to meet Japanese guys?
2: Um. So I think probably the first relationship I had when I was in Japan was with a, a, an American guy. Um, and I think it's interesting because I remember thinking, you know, here is somebody that speaks the same language, comes from a similar background. But actually, I feel like I have more in common with Japanese I I felt that the American culture is very, it's quite, um, people are very confident. They're very forward. And I think coming from England, Ben, you can probably back this up. People are not so forthcoming. It's a bit more, you know, it's a bit more reserved. And so I think I I found that a little bit, um, not just maybe a little bit too forward um, and a bit, you know, declaring, you know, people, I guess he was declaring his feelings after a week. Um, and that's not really how we do things in England. I've never been exposed to that. And and actually I found with, with, with Japanese guys, they were just a bit more like English guys in terms of the reserved, kind of not so in your face, not so kind of, um, you know what I mean? I think Jin and I were, were kind of friends for ages before um, we we got together. And... I think that just suits my i guess kind of it, it, it culturally it just was a better fit um that's how I felt at the time, but um I guess it really depends on the person i mean I'm just saying something very generalized um, but I felt that Japanese men are very were quite reserved except when they got drunk um that was a little bit different, but then I found that actually. Japanese younger males don't didn't pay me so much attention um but actually it was the it was you know kind of older men I mean I was teach I was doing some teaching outside of Nova um you know in like Mossberger and and those kinds of places for an agency and I was kind of tutoring this um older salary man he must have been in his early 60s and you know six months we talk about BBC news and um and then after six months, you, you know, you, all of a sudden he kind of, you know, started writing things on paper that was probably be considered a bit lewd. Um, I kind of can't remember where exactly what he wrote. Um, but you'd kind of, you know, you get, I get, I get things like that. I would get notes passed with some things written on it. You know, like oh, how about we go here and we do this or something like that. So that was a bit. I found that so alien from. Most Japanese males approach which which is which is essentially half the time you they just ignore you or they kind of don 't really look your way, but when they do it 's kind of it was written down in note form, which I found a bit unusual with tick boxes, tick a box, yes or no, and obviously I tick the no box most of the time, but it was just a bit, and obviously you'd never get you, you know you wouldn't get that with the male english speaking teachers but but something I found with the male English speaking teachers is they thought they really had a, a, a bit of a God complex um, after they were in Japan a little while. Mm. And m- people who were, you know, mildly attractive or, or, or not very attractive suddenly thought they were God's gift to women. And so became quite arrogant, I think. And I think when a couple of us girls um, were starting relationships with Japanese men, I think they didn't really understand why why we would start a relationship with Japanese male as opposed to an English-speaking male, as in they thought they were God's gift to Japanese women and then all the English-speaking women as well, um, the Western women. So I, I, that was kind of off-putting, I think, seeing guys who would you know, come and started off as quite decent guys because they'd get a lot more attention from females in Japan than they would back home. They suddenly became quite just 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 morphed into different people and I think um it became some of us could take quite an aversion to when they um you know were saying quite negative things about Japanese males um and not understanding why uh you know a foreign female would want to start a relationship with a Japanese male um so uh, there was a lot of of yeah, I think eye opening things when I started dating a Japanese person, the the hostility from um male English teachers. Um um and I don't I don't I don't think Japanese feed, like my Japanese female friends didn't really have an issue with it. I think they thought it was interesting. Um and I think they were more interested in the male English teachers and weren't particularly concerned that I was seeing a Japanese person, but it was it was unusual. I didn't see many female, male couples, whether the female is foreign and not Japanese. Um, there weren't many, but I think there probably are more more now than there were in 2004. I don't know if you can comment on that.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, one thing I can say, I mean, I, I first came in 2002, so it was kind of around the same time, but it's kind of interesting for you to uh, describe it that way because I'm trying to like think about... Uh, how it is for a foreign guy. And j- exactly like you said, I think a lot of us, uh, and I was uh, definitely guilty of it too, start to feel entitled because you do have um, a lot of uh, what seems like a lot more opportunities probably than what uh, they would feel like or we would feel like we have back home. And that's uh, unfortunate, I guess, if uh, you uh, knew some people that held it against you or it kind of seemed like that was going on because. I don't know. Maybe I was guilty of that too. Especially if, like, the Japanese guy they were dating wasn't part of uh, like our circle of friends to begin with.
2: Yeah, I think I think they- I think it also confused them because they had so many um, Japanese women interested in them. Because I think they felt they had qualities that Japanese males didn't have. Um, I think these girls are described to them, but a lot of Japanese men were quite cool, quite quite um, reserved, and I, I guess it was hard I guess to them as well it was easier in English I felt when they were speaking English it was more relaxed um when when dating somebody um and speaking English but I think for them it was always a lot of them it was it was fun they were very much dating people for fun whereas when we started dating Japanese guys it it wasn't it wasn't so much for fun it was it was I mean, for me, definitely, it was kind of, we were friends, and then obviously when it, when we got together, it wasn't just a bit of fun, it was a relationship. And that's why I think they couldn't understand. They couldn't understand why you weren't just having fun like they were having fun, and why you'd actually seriously consider setting down with somebody from such a different culture to your own. Um, although, obviously, i already said in many ways I didn't think the culture was massively different um, from where um, from growing up in England, but... Yeah, it was it was just a different mindset and I think they just couldn't understand all the, why why we would embark on a relationship with Japanese malesmen actually we had a you know, were able to speak English to the, you know, to them, um and to have more in common with them. I think I think they just wanted the best of both worlds, to be honest. And and maybe and maybe a lot of people said to me, maybe it's just the cohort of teachers that Nova employed at the time. Um people who were just looking to come out and have a fun for a year or two, um, not particularly serious about the culture or the language. Because um, apparently I heard different language schools, you didn't get the same kind of cohort of teachers. So I, I don't know if that was very specific to Nova. Um,
1: uh, yeah, I think it also might depend where you are as well. Like Tokyo, that sounds like that situation yeah. would happen a lot more. Yeah. Like being in Sapporo, I think it's a bit rare for that situation to happen like people that usually end up in Sapporo because it's such a small city mm. in a way that everyone knows everyone and if you kind of burn bridges with someone you're going to hear about it and you can easily yeah. build up a negative reputation quite quickly yeah whereas Tokyo is such a big place that you can kind of go away do whatever um, you want yeah whatever without people ever finding out about it really
2: yeah Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the the English teacher I had the biggest problems with was an Australian guy. And um, he'd already been moved from another branch for sexual um, harassment of a Japanese female member of staff um, and then was sent to our branch. And I kind of, I think the thing that annoyed me the most about um, the the work scene um, in Japan was, you know, people kind of getting moved around if there was a problem other than I mean that happens in every industry in every country I imagine but it just seemed um it just seemed as if yeah people were just moved around even when essentially they should have been let go I guess but Nova was so keen to keep as many teachers on as possible because it was so transient people would come people would leave you know you get a new teacher every couple of weeks people leaving and coming um and so I think I, yeah I think that the transient nature of it maybe lent itself to that kind of behavior but um yeah I noticed a big difference in the attitude of, of other teachers when a couple of us girls started dating Japanese males but but no real issues from the Japanese community um I guess um but obviously I don't know if I would have been so perceptive of that at the time um and I think going back to Japan as a, as a married mother of, of two half Japanese children was interesting. Um, and I think whereas before when um, hubby and i got together, I was the first foreigner, I guess, to marry into the family um, well, or to, to even be introduced to the family. And at the time, I think it was very interesting for them to have some, obviously my Japanese, um, you know, got pretty good, so we could really, you know, communicate. You know, have so many different conversations about different things, and and you know, they'd say things to me like, "Oh, you know, you're just like, you know, from a from the back, we forget you're not Japanese. You know, you're so polite, and you you do all your tidying up and you're cleaning up." And I, I think they had a perception of foreign women as being very loud, very brash, and very lazy, um which they admitted to me. That's the perception they had, and so when I you know tidied up cleaned up after myself and um spoke you know politely and kind of made sure you know you leave the, the the bath clean when you've um when you've been the last one to have a bath or um just just the little manners and little mannerisms and I think that's when they begun to accept actually um you know what you're not japanese but you are very japanese like in the things that we value um and then gave us their blessing to get married but Fast forward how many years? Uh, Ten ten years Um, after when we went back to Japan with the kids um, and things were very different. I think maybe some hostility had been building up um, over over a while that um, we had settled in England and the children weren't Japanese enough. That's kind of how I think I was made to feel... Uh, they were very disappointed the kids didn't speak fluent Japanese. Um, they didn't want to know about our life in England. It was it was very difficult and very diff- different um, ideas on parenting, I think. In England, it's very much responsive. You know, breastfeeding is advocated and spending your time bonding with your child and skin to skin. And, you know, there's a recognition that you need sleep and you need rest. Whereas in Japan, you're supposed to wake up at 6am, make for your bento for your husband you know, dust, vacuum, do the laundry, do everything and make sure it's perfect every single day. Um and I felt that there was a lot of pressure and and just a feeling of being constantly not 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 doing things properly like a Japanese wife would do, the more Japanese mother and, and just little things such as, you know, getting the smallest portion of food, being served last, that kind of thing.
0: you were talking about some great stuff. If I can ask you, uh, were they, um, did they kind of directly let you know that they were having issues or was it a passive aggressive way of letting you know they had issues?
2: I think that's the thing about, um, the Japanese people that I came across, um, is they never let you know. Um, so clearly it's always done in a very, it's almost in the silence. It's in what they don't say. Um, and then the, the passive-aggressive um, way. And I think a lot of times I kind of wanted to sit and, and address things with them, um, but I was told I, I wasn't allowed to do that and that wasn't the culture. And I would have to talk to my husband and then he would address it with them.
0: Oh, I was thinking maybe it was your husband who was giving you that advice that that wasn't a culture, but it was coming from somebody else telling you that you had to go through your husband. That must have yeah, been Yeah,
2: so so very my son went to kindergarten, um, which which was fantastic, actually. That was probably the lifeline um, of, of being in Japan. And all of the other mums were very, very welcoming, very supportive. And I think a lot of times I'd kind of, are, you know seek their guidance and a lot of the times you know they say things like you know that's not that's not what we do or, that's not japan today that sounds very much like Showa japan parenting mm. um and i don't even think the in-laws realize that modern japan and modern japanese families are very different um you know i saw lots of japanese males um at a kindergarten wearing um you know uh kind of baby carriers with babies in them um, feeding babies bottles um, you know very much being you know as as you kind of see I guess um, in England and I had never seen I, I don't know if I just wasn't paying as much attention in 2004 but I can't say I ever saw a Japanese male carrying a baby in a baby carrier um, or, or feeding a baby but actually you know young Japanese families now you know the, the fathers are very hands-on and um, things are are different to how they were so so I'm told and you know so I would speak to them about it and they'd kind of say no no that's not that's not that's very old style Shawa kind of ideas um so I knew that the kind of narrative I was getting about what how things should be or you know not putting children in car seats you know the very just very different ideas and I think I struggled a lot with that um and i think laws are very much like in you know in japan you don't question the elders what, even if you disagree that's what the elders have said and that's what goes but obviously coming from where i come from i've always questioned things i've never just but gone along with things it's not it's not who i am and it's not really you know i'm i'm a londoner i don't just accept what people things people say if i know they're wrong um and i think you know when people say things about your baby that you've kind of given birth to and you've been feeding for a few months before you've gone over to japan suddenly everybody else knows better it's a bit you know it was just very hard and i think as a new mother not well obviously i already had a, had a son but i it was probably one of the most difficult challenging times of my life and i thought i was going over there for some help and support and for the grandchildren to get to know their grandparents but actually, it was total opposite. It was like a boot camp. It was like I was being t- trained to um, reach for standards of, of a Japanese wife um, and mother. I mean, um, do you th- and obviously, I never, I never managed to achieve those standards. I don't know if I ever would have, even if I'd done everything right. I think maybe it may have just been some hostility of the fact that, as I said, the children weren't Japanese enough.
0: I mean did you did you see them as very traditional people uh when you knew them before you had children or do you think no.
2: this was No no because- everything changed the minute the children were born
0: like cuz I mean my wife's parents are probably I would guess maybe around the same age as, as your in-laws too so and and I'm sure they're definitely not satisfied with uh me thinking that I'm raising my daughter uh like a normal Japanese father would obviously with all the tradition and the culture so I'm wondering if it uh specifically because you're a mother a foreign mother if that's also you know they feel like they have more of a right to uh kind of put this type of pressure on you to make you feel like you should be uh doing things differently do you think that was it
2: yeah absolutely I do um and and it was just just little things which I I mean I I interpret as being quite quite sexist but but I guess you know, it's a different they grew up at a different time but you know for example it was a 30 minute uphill walk to the kindergarten you know in 100% humidity 30 odd degrees and I'd be carrying the baby on my race and, and it was all very hilly where we lived in Yokohama um, and there was a car and everybody else was allowed to use my husband was allowed to use the car um, the daughter who lived there was allowed to use the car everybody, but I wasn't in case I crashed it so You know, I feel like there was just different rules for me and different rules for everybody else. And um, it just, I think, I mean, I think feminist has a very broad term, but I have always been very independent, very strong, very, you know, I've got two younger brothers and I've beat them at everything. (laughs) And I'm not used to being told that, you know, I am inferior in some way or I am more likely to crash for car than anybody else in the house um so I think there's a, maybe a little bit of distrust or, or just 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 you're just made to feel incompetent and you're just kind of made to feel um uh, it's just a lot of uh, I, I think there's probably a lot of pent-up frustration on both sides and and I think communication issues probably played a massive part um you know I think if you are articulate enough and you can express yourself Um, in a way to make people understand that's difficult enough in the same language but when you um, then add on you know not speaking each other's languages um, and I thought my Japanese was good but obviously when you're talking about children and schools there's a whole different vocabulary there that I'd never had to learn Um, so uh, the conversations I was having with them were very different to the ones I'd had when I was there as a homestay and it was all fun and interesting and you know, whereas these conversations were more around the children's health, feeding, food, nursery, nursery fees, um, all that kind, insurances, all that kind of stuff, and and I think there was some miscommunications and just some uh, I don't know. I think it's always going to be difficult, isn't it, for a, a, a matriarch, um, especially a very strong matriarch, Japanese matriarch with strong ideas, having the 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 foreign lady who's taken her son away to go and live in foreign country for 10 years um maybe I should have expected it a bit more but I think I think that was the first time I felt like there was a, a clash but I don't know if it was so much a clash of generations or a clash of cult a clash of cultures um because as I said the younger japanese families were actually very similar to to my friends at home um and, and lots of couples of kids at home, back in england um so i'm still trying to i guess digest what went wrong and how it went wrong um but it did put me off uh, unfortunately i think it has very much put me off going back to japan um and feeling the pressure to really um make make you know make sure that the kids are not going to be embarrassing somehow to their grandparents, you know, I think, uh, you know, comments were made such as, oh, you know, he's so loud, nobody's, you know, it's so embarrassing if we go out, you know, he's just so loud, you know, and I think three-year-old boys are loud, Um, even three-year-old Japanese boys are loud, I told you, you know, I went to the kindergarten, and actually, Japanese kids are just like any other kid, they are loud, they have tantrums, and I think, where I, you know, in England, it's it's seen as normal. Um, in Japan, with 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 my in laws, definitely, um, and some of the parents, it is seen as embarrassing. I don't know if you can if you can relate to any of that, Burke. Um,
0: well, uh, with my kid, I mean, I don't really. Uh feel that, I mean, to be honest, I kind of feel like maybe I'm more of the embarrassment than anything when we go to like school events and stuff, just because, uh, you know, am I uh, able to participate uh, as the other uh, fathers or parents are as much? Um, you know, my I'm kind of a little bit uh, lucky so far comparing my situation to yours, I guess, just because my daughter has grown up here. So, I mean, a kid, I think is just going to grow up uh, and develop you know, no matter what, based on whatever uh, culture they're within or being surrounded by and stuff, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, like, when I was in England, you know, kids having a tantrum or kids screaming or kids shouting, you know, is is very normal and we're not embarrassed by it. Obviously, unless I have a massive meltdown in a very quiet shop or something. But in Japan, I felt like he, my son couldn't be a toddler. He had to be this kind of quiet reserved version of himself and and a three-year-old boy is just not going to do that and so I felt really pressured to discipline him in a way that that was going to be suitable for wider Japanese society but actually it's hard to tell a kid that they're doing something wrong when you don't think they're doing something wrong because you understand that is part of being a toddler they can't manage their emotions so they will scream and shout sometimes Um, and I, I don't think disciplining them strictly was the right thing to do but obviously that's not what the family felt and I think you know I was on the train with a Japanese friend and we'd taken the boys out um, for a day and they were having lots of fun running around on the train and the other passengers were smiling and I didn't have a problem with it but I think the other mum was very embarrassed and she kind of kept telling him to sit down Um, and I kind of said to her they're having fun they're not hurting anyone but she was she was just mortified that they were even making a sound on the train. And I felt, I found things like that quite difficult. Like I feel like kids should be kids as long as they're not bothering anyone. Um, But I think in Japan, there's this expectation that kids are supposed to be quite, supposed to just be quiet, but kids are not quiet. And I've really struggled with that, struggled to try and force my son into a, straight jacket is a bit of a harsh term to use but i that's what i felt i was being told to do and it was very hard and very stressful for, for me and my son
1: how about your husband was he kind of helping like the relationship between obviously his parents and you and what they were expecting from you was he helping out at all with that
2: so it was very difficult for him um i think he's walking a very fine <laughs> line between um, being caught in the middle and I I think another thing I struggled with was you know if if my brother's wife said to him you know this is really I'm really unhappy about this this is making me really miserable da, da, he would go and speak quite clearly um you know to our family and say this isn't on we haven't come thousands of miles to be treated like this whereas my husband in his family, he's and, – and it's something that I love. I love this. I love that him and his brother and sister are so respectful of their parents and they don't speak to them the way I see lots of parents uh, – children speak to their parents here um, in England. But I think he was trying to be very diplomatic and trying to be peaceful and sometimes he would try to – you know, he would say things, but he would kind of – have to go back and forth but it was incredibly stressful for him and then I wouldn't want to say things to him because I'd know that he'd come home from work and then I'd be like duh, 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 and then he'd be like, you know he's already tired from work the last thing he wants is to hear about why I'm so unhappy and then have to challenge his parents about it and um, but I think he, one thing about him is he really empathised with how I was feeling and he did say to me if I was treated like this in England I would already have left a long time ago Um, if you're, you know, if this is how your family treated me, I'd have been out of there a long time ago. So he tried, um, but always very, very respectfully. Um, and I guess that was frustrating for me because I wanted him to say it in a stronger way, but he, he didn't. And I felt, I think he felt he couldn't because it went so against his, his, how he's grown up and he just couldn't do that. Um. So it's difficult. It's very difficult for him.
0: It might be like trying to do a whole completely new thing. And especially with your parents, that's probably (laughs) makes it 10 times more difficult as well. So,
2: Yeah. yeah. It's very difficult for him. He was stuck in the middle and he wanted it to be a a Japanese dream, you know, because it was really to see if we could settle there. Um, And obviously I knew quite quickly that just was never going to work. But I stuck it out and there's so many times I wanted to leave and, Um, and I think you have to take positives from every experience, but things were just too different. Um, and there were too many differences and I think I felt very alone. I felt, and obviously being the only foreign mum at the kindergarten, everybody was very nice, but people don't really, nobody really understood, I think, how I was feeling, um, because obviously none of those mums had had any experience living abroad with young children and I just felt very alone and um you know even when I'd go to the doc you know I, I work in the National Health Service in England and you know you're I think a patient doctor relationship here is very much you you're able to have a discussion and a dialogue and with a doctor whereas when I took the kiss to a doctor in Japan um and obviously that's a whole different level of um, difficulty because often the hubby was at work and I'd have to go by myself. And it's very different to the doctors here. And a lot of times, you know, I'd, I'd say to the doctor, Oh, you know, my daughter's got constipation and he'd give me some Satsumaimor paste. And I kind of thought, Why are you giving what's this and what's this for? And you haven't even asked what her symptoms are and there's been no dialogue. And he'd say, I'm the doctor, just do what I say and that's that. Um, and so <laughs> I found that really difficult that's
0: that 's definitely a frustration I can relate to i 've kind of mentioned it even recently on uh, on this podcast is like that that uh, viewpoint where when people visit the doctor you 're supposed to listen to what you 're told whereas uh back in the u s you can kind of get more of they they won't mind i mean i guess they probably don't want to hear too much from you but uh they definitely Mm. it's an opportunity to ask questions and give your opinion on things and and see what they think about your opinions whereas here it's uh shut down pretty quickly usually
2: yeah very quickly and and my son um had an inhaler just he just had some wheezing occasionally and um in japan i was told that we is, they, don't, they don't give out ventilators um, because of tachycardia. And so they gave me some powder um, to give to him, but didn't tell me what was in the powder and said he had to have that um, every single day for the rest of his life, um, which I just found um, quite difficult to get my head around. And I think another thing that I found was odd, a little bit different, I'm not odd, but I guess different to England, is um, how many people were taking some sort of powder or medication for just minor minor ailments such as a sniffly nose or something like that. And um there's always some kind of powder in Japan for something. Um the pharmacies are full of all different kinds of things. And I, I just found I just found it very different. Um and trying to understand because obviously I'm very um ingrained in the medical system in England and understand it very well and, and in Japan I and I didn't understand why everything was closed on a Thursday and i just hoped and prayed the kids wouldn't get sick on a thursday because all the doctors are closed in yokohama um i found that very just just it's just another thing i think that added to my disillusionment um during that time um but i think the stresses of being a new mother again and having a toddler to look after and you know being dropped in the middle of quite a what i felt was a hostile environment and Trying to make a life was just very difficult. And I think I just viewed things in Japan from a probably what was a ended up being quite a negative um, mindset. And I think then you interpret anything, don't you, as being negative um, when you may not have looked at it like that before. Um, but I think maybe the, stress, the, the, the stresses were kind of getting away of, of really knowing what it would be like to live in Japan with, with two small children. Um so I uh, hopefully I will have made peace with that experience um in the years to come and be able to go back with the kids. Um and then hopefully when they're older they'll really be able to to enjoy the the, the great parts of, of of what Japan has to offer and because you know it's I really want them to know their culture and and their language um and, and really want them to to have a relationship with their grandparents, but I think that experience was just a real, um, I just was just viewed everything for a very negative prism. And, and that's kind of stayed with me, I think, because um, it was only three years ago, two and a half years ago. Very different experiences, um, living in Japan as a mother and then living in Japan as a first time foreigner English teacher. Very, very different experiences of the culture and the society.
1: The very first time, what made you decide to move back to England with your now husband?
2: When he and I got serious, we got, we got engaged in, in Japan. I wanted, first of all, I guess, for him to get to know my family and my friends. So it was never supposed to, we, we didn't say we were going to move to England permanently. We said, oh, maybe for a couple of years. Um, and then also, Jen thought it would be a good experience to improve his English um and so it was only supposed to be really for him to get to know my side of a family and and improve his English and we ended up staying so he really
1: he really I, liked it he really liked no him. he
2: hated it no he hated it <laughs> <laughs> he hated it for years and years and years every year he'd say I hate it can we go back to Japan um but but I um ended up getting quite a good job and then I did my master's degree um which took two years and then after I did my master's degree I um got pregnant and then wanted to have obviously my first child here with my family and friends um and I think when you are about to start a family you you build a nest and you kind of want to be where you feel most comfortable um and that was here in England and um um, but I always thought we would go back to, to live in Japan at some point for a certain period of time. I never I never said no um, to that. And I was very open to it when we had our second child. But obviously the experience was, was quite a sour one for me. And so that since then, he's never said, can we move to Japan? He he knows that's not going to happen. Um, but no, he wasn't, he wasn't. He wanted to go back to Japan. He was homesick for many years, actually. It's only since we had the kids he's stopped. Saying it, um, and I think he thinks the school system. I think he thinks the kids will be have more freedom growing up in England, is what he said. Um, I think freedom in the school system in the way they learn, um, but I think he's comparing it again to his own experience, which was 40 odd years ago. Um, and things will be very different now. Um, but yes, he no, he hated it for many years probably still does he just doesn't say it anymore
1: <laughs> how how was uh how's the change in your relationship after you moved to england because i guess obviously your husband's english got a lot better probably even fluent i'm, I'm assuming now so no from... no, oh, no.
2: Not, not at all no <laughs> no he he took a really long time and and even now isn't um fluent he's not really thrown himself into um, English culture he doesn't not. He's very much a solitary, introverted person. You will spend hours playing his guitar, but doesn't doesn't really hang out with friends or um, anything like that. Um, yeah, just to kind of you know, and loves watching old Japanese shows and Jap- listening to Japanese music. So I guess he's created his own little bubble here. Um, <sighs> so not not so much not not as, not the way we both thought um we thought it'd be very smooth and he'd be able to find a great job and it's just not not been that it's not worked out that way um but no our relationship was very difficult um because he didn't want to to be here and um I was realizing more and more that I did and um so that put a lot of pressure on us and I kind of think maybe if we hadn't had children i don't know if we already would have gone our separate ways or not but um you know i think he still says he i don't think he can see himself retiring in england but obviously it depends on the kids and then grandkids i I don't know if he even knows but i think he always harbors this desire to retire in japan one day you know and take over the family house um when the kids are grown up and no longer need him so i i think you know, I, I don't. You know, none of us know what's going to happen in the future. I had no idea when I went to go and live in Japan as a twenty-four-year-old that I'd be bringing back a Japanese husband with me, um <laughs> and still be married. You know, thirteen years later, I didn't even think I'd ever get married. Didn't even didn't even want to. So I think the future can surprise you. It doesn't always work out how you how you had planned, but actually, sometimes you get something better than you thought you were going to, and sometimes you don't. And and I think you know, if I hadn't gone to Japan, I would never have met my husband. I wouldn't have my two gorgeous babies now. So it's um, it's interesting how things. Oh, you know, it's such a cliche, isn't it? Everything happens for a reason. Um, and and even after that difficult experience living in Japan, because it was so challenging, when I came back to England, parenting was a, seemed to be a piece of cake. I, I was so much more confident because. I'd had such a difficult time there that everything here seemed so much easier in comparison, so actually I just my I grew so much more confident so in a way, I guess I have to thank that experience to for pushing me on and making me more confident um to face any challenges back home um silver lining and all that
1: did you um Did you have any other friends um when you're in Japan like female friends? who were in a similar situation to you, like dated a Japanese guy, got married and ended up uh, having a family, um, settling in Japan or settling abroad. Were there any other females like that around you?
2: Yes. So I joined an English playgroup in Sakuragicho and um, there were a few foreign mums. In fact, it was all all foreign mums, mainly from the US and uh there was one English lady, one Australian lady. And they were married to Japanese men. Um and I was also a Canadian lady that I made friends with married to Japanese men and, and they'd all had children in Japan. And these ladies all spoke fluent Japanese, um, had good jobs and and they had very much made a life of themselves um in Japan. And I I guess I couldn't They seemed very, I think, uh, you know, a a piece of the decision they made and and their kids were were growing up bilingual and I think they felt, you know, they had had a good quality of life. And when I kind of heard about what they didn't like from back home, where they'd come from, uh, I could kind of see why they, what they had created was better than what they had at home. Um, But I think because I, had a good home life in England. I it's all depends what you're comparing to, doesn't it? I think if you're comparing, you know, leaving somewhere because of things you didn't like, that's not you're always going to think where you're going to is better. Um and I think if you and if you haven't left your home for any specific reason and there's things that you weren't that you didn't like, then that you're always going to um compare what you had to what the situation you're in now um so I I don't know I kind of felt like those ladies had had left their homes behind for very specific reasons and so they didn't feel homesick and they didn't want to go back to their home countries and almost had to make a life um in Japan because that was where they now lived. that was their homes they had got pregnant had children um and had formed their own little I guess community but I just still couldn't understand how they would grow old there. I guess I, I don't know. I think I, I, I think I still think it's very difficult. Um, you know, they had described some difficulties, but not. I mean, they were very positive about their experience. I mean, there was there was there was one much older English lady I had met who actually lived in our kind of um, near the kindergarten, and and she, I guess, didn't help in those early days when I was kind of feeling, you know, really um, lonely and unhappy. Um, and she'd said to me, you know, she'd had the money, but she'd settled in Japan in the 80s. And she'd said to me, if she'd had the money, she'd have booked a, a one-way ticket back to England, would never have gone back to Japan. So that kind of <laughs> didn't help. And and I think, yeah, I just, very different experiences. Some ladies had made a, a life and were very happy and, and other ladies I think um, I don't know if they said I don't none of them said that it felt that they felt stuck but I think they said that they weren't able to go home there was there was not enough money to to move back or there was no family left or or reasons like that um so so a, a mixed bag I guess um
0: I think it's kind of a feeling that everyone or a lot of people feel when they live in any foreign country, and at least in Japan, they kind of, it's always always in the back of your head. Like, when am I going to go back? If I'm going to go back, this might be my chance now. I might need to go back right now if I'm going to go back. And I think it's something that kind of sits in the back of people's head. And then, and then there's a fear that also happens too. When I'm, Like when I got married and started having kids and I was like, oh wait, maybe I will not be able to go back now too. So it's a, it's it's definitely something that uh, people have to deal with when they're living here. But I guess if they don't feel like they have reasons that they need to go back, then it's uh, a much more comfortable uh, situation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it depends on your support network, doesn't it? And I think these women had really good relationships to their Japanese family. Um, and so, and so had that support network there for the children. Um, and I think if you feel like you have a support network, you, you know that's that's where you feel safest and most supported and and so I can see see why some of them had been there for, for decades and and as I said all of these women were fluent in Japanese and and very independent and I think I think in a way how integrated and how happy a lot of these people were was very much related to their proficiency in the language and I think a couple of newer moms who didn't speak any Japanese at all were just just miserable. Um, mm. But but I do think that was related to language and not being able to be independent. Um,
1: how how is your relationship with your in laws like now, like since that experience?
2: Nonexistent. That you had? Wow. existent unfortunately.
1: So you just communicate through your husband to the yes. To the kids?
2: So he um, he sends pictures of the kids and he you know. Um, before the experience you know I'd, I'd, I think for the first year I sent you know like Christmas cards and, and some presents um for their birthdays and um and then I think you know and you just get busy and anyway I kind of stopped and um they haven't sent anything for the kids at all um and I find that i you know I, I kind of um I mean I try not to think of, I, f- I feel sad for the kids in a way that they don't get anything from japan or any any kind of you know mementos or toys or anything that get them interested in in japanese characters or you know even language books or anything like that um makes me feel a bit sad but i think you know that's um that i can't worry about that you know that's that's hubby's family and he's he's the one that's um you know keeping the connection and that's great and and actually they were um gonna my husband and son were gonna go to Japan this year um for a few weeks in the Easter holidays obviously they couldn't um because of the virus but they were gonna go and I was a little bit apprehensive about my son going um but accepted that they wanted to see him and my husband really wanted to take him and and so that was all on the cards to happen but it didn't um and, and I think when he's a bit older it, it I'll probably feel more confident about him going um going over. But but yeah, there's still there's still a channel of communication open. And my husband was gonna go with my son um and, and they were apparently really looking forward to it. But um no, I don't I don't have any contact communication with them um or any interest in, in doing that. Um but uh, but out of respect for my husband, I don't say anything negative. I ask how they are, how they're getting on um and um so yeah that's um that's the state of affairs at the moment but i you know my husband's still very much um japanese loves japan um and very eager about the children experience japanese culture and society and um and i think he'll definitely make sure that link is there um, which is a great thing and i embrace that um it's just not going to be me instigating it i think
0: Well, and Japan's always going to be here too. So, I mean, I came over here as a 26 year old to discover more about my mom's background and my own background too. So, the country will always be here, of
1: course. So,
2: yeah, as long as my kids don't move to Japan like you did, I'll be happy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure like once they get older and they can travel by themselves, I'm pretty sure they will venture into Japan and find their roots Definitely. and, and they'd, they'd, they'd love it they would love it like meet Definitely. up their grandparents if hopefully if they're still around
2: they're gonna love it and and, and the bonus is they'll be able to understand japanese they, they don't speak so much but they understand I, they, my husband only speaks to him in japanese um, oh that's great yeah but, but i mean their language skills aren't great and they don't always understand but it's i think they can only build upon it can't, can't they because i went as a 24 year old never having really heard, Having no Japanese at all, and I, in two years, became proficient enough to, I would say, be able to, you know, live a good life. Um, you know, not having being able to choose where you go to eat, not just picture menu restaurants, and um, you know, people would come up to me from behind because I've I've got dark hair, and they'd think I was Japanese, and they'd ask me for directions, and then when I turned around, they'd be like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> oh, come in a second, come in a so. and it was so satisfying being able to say in perfect Japanese, "Do you want an overweight to the station? Well, go straight ahead, turn left, and it's down the stairs." In fluent Japanese, oh, I just loved it. I loved the the
1: shock on their faces, right? <laughs> the
2: shock, the yeah. utter shock on their faces, and I, I don't know if there's a bit of a sadist in me, that is spurred on by people telling me that I can't do something or I won't be able to do something, and I always set out to to I guess prove them wrong. Um I don't you know, there are no limits. You can, you know, when I first told everybody I was going to live in Japan and learn Japanese, they all thought I was mad. Um and then I did it. And you know I think a lot of my friends, you know, a lot of people want to do things and they they talk about it and they talk about it and they talk about it and they never actually do it. Um, And I think a lot of my twenties was just about doing whatever I wanted to do, wherever the wind took me. And, and it was, it was, it was just brilliant and you get to know who you are and, and who you want to be and what you want to do with your life. And, and I don't think I would ever have had such a rich, I don't think I'd be me if I hadn't gone to Japan. I don't know if that makes sense. It was the best thing I ever did. Um, when I was 24, you know, and as as I said, experience changed. You know, it is, was the very start of of something that is now my life. Um, you know, in an international marriage and um, two two kids from a from a Japanese background now. So it's um, yeah, it was best decision I ever made. And hopefully, you both feel the same too.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, there's no turning back now. I mean, I kind of uh, judge everything uh, in terms of whether or not it was worth happening or not uh, kind of on my daughter being born because I can't really imagine like her not being here. So knowing that everything before her birth kind of resulted in me meeting my wife and then also having my daughter kind of all makes it feel like it, it, uh, Happened exactly how it was supposed to. So,
2: mm, mm. yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're yeah. settled, are you, Ben?
1: <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, we were talking about buying a buying a house the other day. So I think wow. once you lay that foundation down, it's, it's almost assert that you're here for the long haul, especially when you buy a house in Japan because people. In Japan, they, when they buy houses, it's normally they're there for life rather than yes. as, as an investment, like in yes. like back at home.
2: Yeah, so, it's yeah. not the same as at home, is it? You 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 build a property from scratch usually, don't you? Like from design, like a yeah, show buy, home. Buy
1: buy the land, so you own the land. Yes, so, yeah. yes.
2: You don't you don't buy the house, do you? You buy the land.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. Uh, well, isn't the land? Don't you have to pay? Oh, I, don't, I think it works in different different ways. Um. But but yeah, it's um. There's a lot. There's been a lot of new buildings gone up in our neighbourhood. Hubby still has to look on Google Maps sometimes at the neighbourhood. Um, oh, you
1: mean like where his parents are?
2: Yeah, yeah. Lots of new buildings going up. Lots of lots yeah. of young families and um, um, yeah, lots of different um, different different things happening.
1: Well, well, um, hopefully one day, Sam. You know, you and your in-laws kind of make up and. You have an opportunity to to come and stay in Japan a bit longer and bring the bring the whole family back. I'm sure that will make the your husband especially and the kids probably really happy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think um, like you, you know things do happen um, and they do push you towards a certain direction. and And that experience did make me stronger um, in a lot of ways, and and I can only be grateful for that. Um, and hopefully, I think when enough time passes and it's not so raw anymore um we can we can all kind of gather again and um and I think the olympic you know olympics are something that um everybody is really looking forward to um I'm still in touch with a couple of some friends in Japan um a lovely Japanese guy I've met in Australia actually been friends for about 17 years now which is crazy um so everybody was really looking forward to the Olympics and I thought that's gonna be a great time for my son to go over and, and hubby to go over, but obviously that's been postponed till next year. Um so I think I think there's lots of um things to look forward to. Um I don't know if it'll be me physically going there, um but but I'm I'm sure I will go back once in the, you know, sometime in the future. Um but just not probably for the foreseeable, not for the next few years anyway
1: yeah well sam it's been so good having you on like to to hear like your situation and and your stories it's, it's quite rare to hear from someone like especially a female marrying to a japanese person like i i have I, maybe i've heard of a couple since i've been here but i don't really know any females or like foreigners that have married to japanese people so to get your insight is uh, is very unique for me yeah, so, yeah for- well thank you
2: for asking me to do it it's quite cathartic actually in a way um <laughs> thanks for
1: agreeing <laughs> thanks for agreeing and just you know just being so honest and just let just letting it go is great yeah it'd be great yeah to out and get i in. haven't
2: been too negative about um about no, no, not at there's, all. there's, there's, there's so many great things about that cult country and that culture and and especially you know the way everybody helps each other um you know at the kindergarten you know, every time there's a summer fair or summer school, it wasn't who's going to do it. It was we're all doing it, we're all playing a part. Um, very unified in that sense. Whereas here, the summer fair, it's only two of us that ever do anything. Everybody else just shucks and says, oh, I'm sorry, I've got time. So I really miss that camaraderie, I think, of everyone doing their bit. Whereas here, it just always falls to people who... Because no one else does it, you know? that. That's probably something I think... Is the biggest positive from Japan that that we don't that I don't feel we have in England, um, and then obviously there's lots of lots of things that I was not so keen on. Um, but yes, we will hopefully take the best of both worlds, and, and that's what the kids will will be exposed to, and until they make their own journeys to Japan, and I'm sure they will go and live there for, for a period of time. I just hope they don't forever.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: i'll miss them
1: <laughs> all right so my
2: grandchildren to be here <laughs> uh, yeah okay, okay. Um, good luck and um, um, the podcast is great i had a little listen um to one about um food somebody came on talking about food um and um and and keep doing it you're doing a good job and um thank you for having me on
0: yeah thanks please for coming come on again. sam yeah we yeah, really appreciate you. it